What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we've got ESPN's very own Kevin Connors back on the show for the first time since the Big 12 tournament last season. So this has been a long time coming. We're excited to have Kevin Connors back on the show. We're going to talk about some of the mid-major teams that have taken the college basketball scene by storm. We'll also talk about the new look Syracuse team. We'll talk about Jim Beheim. We'll talk about Zach Eady and his National Player of the Year campaign. we got a jam-packed show. Appreciate Kevin Connors hopping on the show. Always a good time. Um, if you're just listening in and tuning in right now and you're not keeping up on social media, um, let me give you an update. Kyle, our producer, Kyle Crichton, is in Las Vegas right now with Ryan Rossillo. He is handling the Ryan Rossillo live show. We're so proud of we're so proud of Kyle. You know what I mean? I remember um, back in the day, Bill Simmons uh, as one shining podcaster, you know, started started to take its, you know, its kind of rise. The first iteration, um, you know, Bill told me I graduated from being the producer of his podcast to go do some more talent stuff. And. And, you know, that was a seminal moment. That, that's when I felt like, hey, I, I got a nice little push here. Kyle is doing a similar thing. He's, he's doing life advice. He's all over the place. He's doing live shows. So we're excited for Kyle. But unfortunately, that means he's not a part of this program. We got our guy, Jack, um, helping us out here covering today. So this will be a simple one. Um, we're going to get into a jam-packed show. Like I said before, we got Kevin Connors. Let's get it going. But first, Woody Durham. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. I am still your host, Tate Frazier. And today we're about 10 days into the college basketball season. And he's back on the show, a true friend of the program. You know him from ESPN. He is the great Kevin Connors. Kevin, how's it going, man? Tate, I'm great. It's great to be back talking hoops with you. I think the last time we did this, I was at the Big 12 tournament. So I like how we're starting at the beginning of the year and and getting going here. I can't believe that was March. I uh, I was trying to piece that together. I, th- I thought it was during the summer we connected, but yes, it was back uh, before the NCAA tournament. So we have a lot to cover and a lot of things have happened in college basketball. I just kind of want to start there because this past Tuesday, you were doing the studio show. You're at halftime of the Champions Classic. We remember 2011, the Champions Classic kicked off college basketball. It was always like this big splash moment. Now we're 12 years into it. Where, where do you kind of feel like the Champions Classic stands right now? Because we have had so much good college basketball that it almost feels like it's lumped in the group instead of standing out. You know, I think for those of us who are deep in the weeds on the sport, that's true. I think there's so much else going on, Tate, for the average sports fan right. who likes college basketball. And they say, you know, wait a minute here. I'm trying to wrap my head around, should Georgia be number one or is it Ohio State? And what about Harbaugh? And <laughs> yeah. isn't what about NFL- Washington, right? Every, everyone's going crazy. Like how can the Heisman winner, Michael Pinnock, not be in the playoff? Right. <laughs> exactly. And they're undefeated and they beat Oregon. Um, but So I think that for a lot of people, they're aware that college basketball may or may not have started. Unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, it's like get back to me in February when Duke mm-hmm. plays North Carolina. So for me... I still get into the Champions Classic because it is sort of a unofficial starting point of the college basketball season. 
And, you know, for the nuts and bolts of the games, I thought it was a phenomenal event for these teams because it's an opportunity to see where you are deficient in November versus where you're deficient in a postseason tournament in March. So I thought for all four teams, it was a really good event. And I think for college basketball, it's great. Take along with Arizona going to Cameron Indoor and other on-campus games like that. Yeah, that felt like the official kickoff or the unofficial kickoff, I should say, this year. You know, Arizona, Caleb Love, Coach K is in the building. We get all of that kind of, uh, you know, we love callbacks in college basketball. So the fact that we got a callback to the 2022 Final Four showdown between those two guys, obviously Caleb on a different team playing for Arizona, but the connective tissue was there. But I did feel like a lot, I saw a lot of like the college basketball media at large talking about how do we open the season up with IUPUI at 11 a.m., you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, the Champions Classic ends up, you know, a week and a day later. I do feel like it would be nice if it was just the first college basketball we saw, because if that were the case, I think that the hype would be a little bit higher. I think, you know, coming off the Kentucky-Kansas game, especially, you you obviously see Kansas able to weather the storm, show why they're the number one team. But again, we like something that we understand. America understands John Calipari having a fast, um, flying bunch of freshmen that are dunking and, and hitting big shots and things like that. So Kentucky kind of looked the part as well. I, I saw you at halftime. You mentioned that Dillingham was giving off Tyrese Maxey vibes. I wanted to talk about that. I mean, that was a splash moment in college basketball, and I felt like the general audience, you know, I had people randomly that don't even keep up with college basketball saying, who's this Dillingham kid? You know, I feel like, I feel like that one actually cut through. What a two and a half minutes uh, for a guy to announce his, <laughs> right. his arrival in college basketball. You know, I, I, I heard the podcast the other day. I thought you guys made a great point. I thought Kentucky, though they lost the game, might have looked better or shown that there's more potential there. I, I thought Kansas, and I love Kansas, and I, I love that program. Um, I think maybe there's a little bit more potential there with Kentucky. I think that there are some deficiencies there um, with Kansas. But yeah, I mean, Dillingham exploding for, for those, I think it was four three-pointers in a span of like two and a half minutes was amazing. Um, Adu Thierro, like, whoa. Right. I mean, um, big, big time moment for him. I love the way that Dickinson has assimilated there in Kansas. I kind of wonder who, who's this year's Jalen Wilson. Um, and I, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that I know who that is yet. Um, and I really think that they are going to miss Grady Dick. Well, Kev, of course, they're going to miss a, a lottery uh, player who's as good a three-point shooter as anybody. But my point is, if it's not Furphy, the Australian kid who steps up, who's that guy that gives them that other dimension to make them a championship team? But again, the big point for me was Kansas won the game. But I thought Kentucky, I left being more intrigued by Kentucky. Yeah, Duke and Kentucky somehow won the Champions Classic, even though that's not the actual record of the Champions Classic. But that's how, you know, college basketball works. The other big note of the season so far is upsets, right? We're all talking about upsets. And the one that comes to mind is obviously James Madison going up to uh, the Izzo Center, as I like to call it. Shout out to the Breslin Center. But they go up there. They get a big win. Um, they they make their statement as the number 24 team in the country. They got the football team undefeated. They got the basketball team ranked in the AP Top 25. Let's talk about JMU right now, because the Dukes, have kind of shocked the world. If you're just a general fan and you just saw the headline, JMU stuns Michigan State, maybe that was your first way into college basketball. And I do think upsets kind of, you know, curry favor in the national conversation. So JMU is one of those teams. You keep up with the mid-majors. What are your thoughts on the Dukes? 
Look, you know, the Sun Belt's not on the radar for a lot of college basketball fans. If it appears if James Madison's going to play in the postseason here, we know it's not going to be in football, so it looks like basketball is where it's going to be. And Mark Byington's got, he's got some team. I mean, and it's not just the Michigan State when they beat a Kent State team out of the MAC. The MAC may be one of, if not the best, mid-major. Kent State beat Fresno State to kind of give people an idea of uh, of where they are in the in the pecking order, they got a kid named Terrence Edwards uh, at um, uh, at James Madison, who is a who's a, their leading scorer, big time scorer. They got a kid T.J. Bickerstaff who transferred from Drexel. My buddy Zach Spiker is coaching at Drexel. T.J. is kind of a double double machine. They're the favorites to win the Sun Belt. They, they out rebounded Michigan State. Tate. They were more physical than Michigan State in that game. And that's one of the amazing things that's happened in college basketball. Have the big-time t- schools taken a lot of the guys out of the portal from the mid-majors? They have. But the mid-majors have retooled as well. And when we talk about the best mid-majors in college basketball, outside of the Ivy League, the James Madisons, the Akrons, the Grand Canyons, teams like that, these are teams with massive turnover who have figured out a way to get guys to mesh early. And to me, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, James Madison has a chance to go undefeated this year, and I think that's going to be potentially a conversation where we get into January, February, and we're looking at all the the bubble mock-ups. Joe Lenardi, obviously at ESPN, one of those guys that's doing that, the bracketology experts, and they're saying, how do we handicap JMU, who's going to be potentially undefeated and heading into you know a, a situation where they're a, you know, a seven seed or are they a 12 seed, and how do we really kind of make sense of that if they did beat a team like Michigan State. I do want to talk about Michigan State quickly. Um, a team that has lost two games early in the season. If you go back in the the annals of history in college basketball, there's really no team that has started out 0-2 or 1-2 that has gone on to win the national championship outside of Danny Manning and the Miracles, right, with Kansas. So that was the only team that you can circle. A lot of people in Big Ten country in the Midwest, they were saying, this is the year. As Izzo has the, you know, the, the veteran guys. He has the young athletic talent. Um, how do we feel about Izzo right now and this team? And do we think that Michigan State is still in that conversation, or do we have to kind of readjust how we talk about them right now? I think Michigan State is good, and I think that they'll be a factor. Are they one of the teams we've got to talk about in the national championship conversation right now? For me, no. Now, look, yeah, Tate, I'll tell you this. Sunday morning, after being in studio all day during the day Saturday and at night Saturday with college football, I come back in early Sunday morning to do another college football show, and then we've got to do uh, college basketball halftimes. While we're taping the college football show, our college basketball producer comes in and says, hey, there's a possibility we may need you to call the college basketball game that's coming on the air at 1230. I didn't even know who was playing the game. (laughs) It could have very well been my family playing, and I'm not sure that I would have had a great handle on everything. So... Don't hold me to this, but based on what I've seen, you know, A.J. Hogard has has not shown up yet for Tom Izzo. I think Malik Hall will come around. Tyson Walker clearly is the guy there. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't run plays for Sissoko. He's a very nice complimentary piece on the front court. I think Michigan State's good. I think Tom Izzo is going to figure things out. Are they among the four, five, six teams I think about in the national championship conversation? Here in mid-November, they're not. 
Yeah. And that's what Tom Izzo kind of likes sometimes. I think he likes to be out of the way. And then as we gear up in February and March, as those fans that you talked about that tune out until the Carolina Duke game in February, as they tap back in, they see that version of Michigan State and they say, why are they not in the conversation? They have all the pieces, right? They have the veteran guards. And I mean, I think Cohen Carr is going to be, you know, in the conversation for the rest of the year. I don't think he's some franchise changer, as many people think, based on that dunk from the free throw line. But I do think they have some pieces that will make sense in the end. Um, Let's keep talking about some mid-major teams that uh, that have been fascinating, kind of taken over the conversation. You mentioned Grand Canyon, Jerry Colangelo's dream out there. Um, they are uh, becoming slowly sort of a powerhouse, and um, they've even become a team that, you know, when you look at some of the mock-ups for the Final Four, people have circled Grand Canyon. They got Coach Drew. He's in full form. What, what should we know about Grand Canyon this year? And, uh, you know, do you think they can kind of shock the world and make a run in the tournament? Uh, you know, Final four, I think, might be a little aggressive. Um, <laughs> I, I thought so, too, but I, I did like the uh, – I like when people are brash, you know what I mean? I, I like the buy-in. Look, you know, th- I, I had a chance to work with uh, with Bryce Drew uh, for, for a season uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he's a guy who can coach, and, and he's going to get pl- – they're kind of like last chance you in some ways where they're <laughs> right. another one of those teams where they've, they, they kind of bring in guys from all over the place and they're trying to make things, make, make all the pieces work. I know this, um, they are, they're a different looking team in that conference in the WAC. Now, um, uh, I've got some friends who coach in the WAC. Um, so this is not to be smirched at league, but they play a different brand of basketball. I mean, they, they're a, they're a, very, very physical team. They've got a lot of uh, interesting pieces. They've got a lot of transfers. They got uh, they got a kid who transferred in from from uh, from Louisville. Sanders, I believe, is his name. Big, physical, six seven, two hundred seventy pound kid. Um, and where I think the the Final Four conversation may be born out of is. There's a lot of money at that school, and there's a lot of interest in getting them to be sort of a version of what Gonzaga has become. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of focus on that being their premier program there at Grand Canyon. So I, I think that you know Final Four is going, going a bit far, but can they be one of the premier mid-major teams um, that's kind of off the radar on a national level right now? This season and beyond, I think there's a lot of interest for that to be the case. Yeah, I think Grand Canyon is going to be fascinating. Their fans are also, um, you don't really know where they came from, but they are diehards. You would think they're a blue blood if you just went to one of their games. I mean, these people are falling over their seats. They're chanting the entire time. I, it's It looks like they, they sent them to one of those schools like with the firms over there, like European soccer, and they taught them how to be fans, and they brought them to Grand Canyon. So it is fascinating. Another team uh, that... Uh, that it's kind of in between mid-major and major, uh, just based on you know the recent NCAA tournament history. But Nevada, um, you know what Steve Alford's been able to do. He kind of opened the season with this whole bat issue, which I think got eyeballs on there for the wrong reasons. But now the basketball reasons are really speaking. They absolutely blow out Pacific. Pacific, who beat California, who was in a Power Five conference, gets the doors blown off, uh, you know, by the Wolfpack. And you know Steve Alford's squad looks really talented. They look bigger. They look more physical than they did last year. And last year they went to the NCAA tournament is Nevada a team that we need to take seriously and talk about as well. I, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt about it. I think that they're pro I guess San Diego state, uh, San Diego state's the team to beat in the mountain West, but Nevada's right there. Hey, I mean, 
what the average fan who's tuning into this needs to know is that you've got teams like that who are on the who are on the mid major major level. I wrote down some other upsets that have happened, just top of the head ones. We yeah. talked about James Madison, Michigan State. My buddy Dan Earl at Chattanooga beat Louisville. Now it's a very very down Louisville team, but that's a huge win for them. Uh, uh, Western Carolina beat Notre Dame. UMass Lowell beat Georgia Tech. Santa Clara beat Stanford. Abilene Christian beat beat Oklahoma State. Presbyterian Vanderbilt. Should we be surprised that a team like Nevada is being mentioned potentially as a Sweet 16 team? Maybe the average fan feels that way. I, I think what's happened um, in college basketball is that the very, very top obviously is loaded, as has always kind of been the case. But the non-top 25 Power 5 teams are as vulnerable as they've ever been because the the mid-majors, if you will, the Princetons, uh, mm-hmm. the the Yales this year, James Jones' team is really good, and they're veteran. They have built these teams. Guys have been in the system, or they've gone out and they've gotten players who have played at other schools a la Grand Canyon. I don't know that we should be surprised if some of the top teams in these mid-major leagues, and again, if you want to call Mountain West mid-major, that's sort of an argument that I get into with mid-major with Mountain West fans every year. I don't know that we should be surprised at these early season upsets because I think that's kind of where college basketball has gone, where some of these better mid-major schools are able to bring in power five guys that haven't fit at those places. And so, yeah, is Nevada, you know, is Nevada a team? I mean, to me, as long as he's there, they're always a team that's going to be considered. Yeah, in the conversation for sure. Another upset that we did not talk about, and I think a lot of people on the West Coast, obviously I'm in Los Angeles, so I hear about this. UC Irvine is a program we were talking about, people trying to pump uh, a program to the top like a Grand Canyon. UC Irvine is one of those schools out here on the West Coast, and the Anteaters, one of the best mascots in all of college sports, they go and get a win against USC, who a lot of people have been very excited about. Obviously, Bronny James still waiting for his return. They beat Kansas State to open the season. They have Isaiah Collier, who could be a top five pick in the NBA draft, but the Anteaters get the big upset. And now we got to talk about UC Irvine. So um, that's another team and another school. And just, you know, thinking of the Anteaters, you know, you deal with the mid-majors. What's the best like mascot or school that you mm-hmm. go back to and you say, oh man, I just love talking about these guys. Is You know, th- there's so many options across college basketball. And as we get closer to, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament, I feel like a lot of them come to the forefront, but at the beginning of the year, people don't talk about them as much. Tough to beat the Anteaters. Um, I'm partial to the Wolverines of Utah Valley. That's not a bizarre mascot, but I, I, uh, I've, I've become very good friends with the folks uh, out there in Orem. So I, I, I'm probably the only guy west of the Mississippi that, you know, I'm w- walking around Connecticut wearing Utah Valley gear. Um, <laughs> it's the, to me, the, the, the charm of the mid-majors, um, listen, the reason that I get deep in the weeds on it is because every March we we watch the NCAA tournament and we see Fairleigh Dickinson or St. Peter's or you, let's go down the list of teams that have done it before, or take, go into the NBA and look at the all-NBA teams and see the Damian Lillards and the C.J. McCollums and go up and down the list of guys who played a mid-major ball. I love getting in on that stuff, and I love seeing how these programs figure out ways um, uh, to do it. So 
I'll have to come up with it. I'll have to come up with my top five list of mascots at the mid-major level. There are some. There are got to be some good ones. Yeah, shout out to the banana slugs. That's always one that everyone wants to bring up as well. Um, it, you know, in that conversation, we could talk about the majors here. Oh, I guess quickly, my boss Bill Simmons did want me to uh, to put in a request that Holy Cross is considered in your top ten. Holy Cross got the. I guess it would be considered an upset. Georgetown, obviously rebuilding, rebuilding under Cooley, but Bill thought that they beat the 1984 Georgetown team, so he is trying to. Uh, to lobby for Holy Cross to be in the top 10. So just just putting that out there for you, if you haven't watched Holy Cross yet, to, to please consider them. That's amazing. I love, listen, Bill, any suggestions that Bill has, we will give strong consideration to. <laughs> Bill had an amazing uh, post on social media the other day talking about micro league baseball. And I had buddies that I grew up with. Um, and and, and so, so Bill's post was of Gus Ramsey, his, his high school mm-hmm. buddy, yep. playing micro and my high school friends reached out to me and they were like oh my god did you see bill simmons posted this about micro league baseball how much time do we spend and i'm like that's cool but that's gus ramsey who i worked with at espn the great producer so i love that bill is i love bill is aware of the mid-majors let's go yeah, we love that. We we need that conversation to happen. Now let's talk about the majors because, you know, you're in Big East country. Um, you know all the conversations about, you know, these schools. We'll talk about Syracuse here in a second because I know that's very personal to you and I'm excited to talk about the Red Autry area, but we got to talk about Rick Pitino first. Um, Rick Pitino, I mean, he had SportsCenter come to Queens, New York and basically do a full day shoot there with him while he ran practice. He gets his first game in Madison Square Garden and unfortunately for him, he goes up against Phil Martelli in a Michigan team that looks hotter than anybody in the country and they they have a little bit of a step back. But just in general, what are your thoughts on kind of the Patino experience so far? Because I've never seen someone get this kind of media push. I mean, it, it has been masterful at some level. Look, obviously, the Patino brand carries a ton of weight in a town like New York, where um, if you want to be relevant on the college basketball landscape, you've got to have a name like that. Mm -hmm. St. John's has been searching forever, Tate. You know that. Yeah. Patino back at Madison Square Garden, where he obviously was coaching the Knicks once upon a time. and Hall of Fame brand. I think St. John's is going to be good this year. They've already landed uh, several big-time recruits for beyond this season. I think what's amazing to me is the commitment level that Rick Pitino has been able to get out of the administration. I think forever St. John's was sort of um, half pregnant, like a lot of programs are. Look, it's hard to mm-hmm. win, especially in the NIL era now. But I think St. John's got to the point where they said, you know what, um, we are in a basketball conference here, which the Big East has bravely, maybe they had no other choice, but they've bravely become that. And it's great for our sport, almost in a way like um, the way that the Big 12 has made a commitment to basketball as well. Obviously, they've got the football component as well, but um I think I think Rick Pitino at St. John's is a great way for him to go out, Hall of Fame coach who is getting big time guys there. And again, the number one thing is the commitment and playing games in Madison Square Garden on a regular basis. I don't know that St. John's is going to make the noise that people think that they might, given who he had who he has been as a coach this year. But I think they're a dangerous team um, in the years to come. 
and I do think that they, they have talent in that building. I mean, Soriano is a veteran guy who's oh. talented. Ledlam's very talented. I like the young guys. I like Brady Dunlap. I like Simeon Wiltshire. I mean, they have pieces that when we look up in February, they, they're they going to be, you know, right in the tournament conversation, I would presume. But I did not think they were a top 25 level. But it is fun to put them there because then we get to talk about them. So, I mean, it, it's fun to have the Rick Tater back in New York City in, you know, you know Manhattan, making things happen. It's nice. Let's talk about Syracuse, Syracuse because uh, we're post-Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim is now going to be a co-worker of yours. Let's start there. What were your thoughts? I mean, he's had his uh, his kind of uh, moments with the media, we should say, throughout the years. But when you heard the news that he was going to come and, and be a commentator and analyst for ESPN, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were I wouldn't want to be the producer telling him we've got 30 <laughs> seconds before we got to get to commercial. Right. Uh, Jim Jim is uh, a lot of things. I'm not sure that brevity is... is um, is one of his greatest strengths. Look, I mean, he's won the second most games in the history of Division One college basketball. I, I'd love to hear his. I'd love to hear his commentary. It's always unfiltered when it comes to to, to Coach Beheim. Um, he's a guy that I think that a lot of people uh, don't realize how much basketball he watches, mm-hmm. even when he's coaching the team. I mean, he he watches a lot of of specifically college basketball, but the NBA as well. Anytime you can add someone like that, I'm super psyched. Um, uh, I think he's primarily going to be doing ACC network and some games, but I think he'll be a, I think he'll be a fun addition. I forget the fact that I'm a fan. If we brought, if we brought in Mike Krzyzewski and I'm flipping around, I'm going to stop and listen to see what he has to say. I'm going to stop and listen to what Jim Bayheim has to say. I'm excited about the Syracuse team, Tate. It's a very, very different looking team from what Syracuse fans have been used to. Yeah, well, they're going to play on Monday night against the Tennessee team that some people think is the best team in the country. So that's uh, that'll be a nice test for them. And it'll also be good to see them on a big stage like that, right? This is kind of the, the introduction to Red Autry, the Red Autry era to the rest of America in that game, I think. Well, so here, and, and, and by the way, that Maui Invitational is going to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gonzaga and Kansas and Tennessee and you know I, I think Syracuse, who's never lost in the Maui Invitational, I believe, um, we're going to find out a lot a lot about them. And I, it's not a great matchup against Tennessee because Tennessee is physical and they are talented and they're a veteran team. Here's what you need to know about Syracuse: they bring back Judah Mintz, who was flirting with the NBA. They add JJ Starling, the Notre Dame transfer. They got a kid named Chris Bell, who's a West Coast kid who was a freshman last year, primarily a shooter. He can really hurt you uh, from the perimeter. Uh, Justin Taylor is a mid-range, uh, primarily a shooter, but a mid, mid-range wing player. I like this Syracuse team a lot when they play uh, Quadir Copeland at the point guard. I realize that takes Judah off the ball. Sometimes Syracuse can be better when Judah's off the ball. Um, they added a seven, four transfer in, um, uh, what's, what's Naheem's last name? McLeod, Naheem McLeod, mm-hmm. seven, four transfer from Florida state. One of our characters, one of our top 100 characters. Great guy. There you go. It's a Syracuse team that wants to run this year. Think more in the eighties and less in the sixties. Like we got used to, they're playing man to man. They could be vulnerable in playing man to man for a team that's primarily been a two, three zone team, exclusively a two, three zone team. They, they were down 24 in the second half against Colgate the other night, and they came back and won. Now, people will say, yeah, but it's Colgate. Well, Colgate's won the Patriot League regular season the past two years, 
And Matt Langle is going to be a Power 5 coach soon. So it's early, and I'm not saying Syracuse is a team that's going to make noise in March, but it's a different Syracuse team, and I'm excited to see where Red's going to take them. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think they are fun, and Colgate is a really good team. And I saw the score early in that game. I saw they were down big, and I was like, oof. You know what I mean? This is going to be a conversation point. Then I look up and I see the final score and I went and watched back the highlights and I was like, oh, this, this is nice. Good to see some fight in this team. It is refreshing to watch this Syracuse team. I, I don't know what other word would make the most sense. It just feels like there is something new. It just feels like there could be something good. Not to say it would be better, but it just feels refreshing. I saw there was a, a Syracuse fan that went to a game and had a sign that's like, he basically went into hibernation during the Jim Beheim era and now he's coming back to, to support Syracuse basketball. Do you think there's a lot of fans that were like that, that that have just been waiting for the new era post Bayheim and they're excited? You know, that's a great question. Here's how I'd answer that. Did Syracuse fall off from what they were the past few years? There's no doubt. But if we stop and think what Jim Bayheim meant to that university, um, uh, has meant to college basketball, look, did it, you know, did it go too long? You be the judge of that. Um, should it? Could it have ended differently? You be the judge of that. I'm never going to tell someone when they should retire. That that's up to them, or it's up to their boss. Um, I look back at the totality of what Jim Beheim did in Syracuse, and I, I mean, I'm a 48 year old guy. Okay, he's been the coach of the team I think for 46 years of my life, mm-hmm. and they've been relevant tape for virtually every single one of those seasons. What he did there was unbelievable. Um, I think it's good that there's new blood in the program right now, but I'll never look back on the Jim Beheim era and say, eh, you know what? I mean, he, he had them relevant just about every year. And for four months a year, four and a half months a year, man, um, he, he certainly provided me with a lot of good memories. And we have Jim Beheim Day on February 24th. We're all going to celebrate that here on this show and this program. So we'll be sure to highlight some of his best moments. Like you said, I mean, Jim Beheim had that team, I mean, with Pearl and Carmel. I mean, you just talk about just all the decades where Syracuse is relevant because of the the players that they brought in and the brand that they played and his brashness and the way that he was a character, um, you know, that we needed in college basketball. And he was a part of that group, you know what I mean, that really took college basketball with ESPN to the forefront of the conversation. So, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. We all poke fun. Everybody likes to be the expert, right? But Jim Beheim is Jim Beheim for a reason. One last thing, uh, you mentioned new blood. I feel like, um, you know, we always want, you know, new stars in college basketball to kind of take the conversation, but it does feel a little inevitable right now. Zach Eady is on his way, marching his way potentially to back-to-back national players of the year at this point. Purdue fans are trying to push this agenda as much as they can. Is Zach Eady inevitable for college basketball? Should we just succumb and say, this is who this is who it is. He's going to win back to back. Or do you think we still have a chance for for some other guys to step into that conversation? I, well, look, I mean, I think you watch what Hunter Dickinson did the other night and mm-hmm. say that's a guy who could end up in the conversation by the end of the year. Look, I mean, Zach Eady is as unique a guy as there's been in college basketball. He, he's a Yao Ming in college basketball, where he's just such a unique player in that regard. And Purdue is going to be nationally relevant all year. I, 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 you know, listen, I've got no dog in the fight. I think what that painter has done there is remarkable. Um, it's going to come down to whether or not they can get the complimentary pieces to make jump shots, I think, and, and, and take some of the pressure off of Zach Eady this year. 
you know, Ted, I'll pose it to you like this. I was thinking about this the other night. You know, I think we went into last year saying it's Oscar Shibway, the reigning right. player of the year, and he's coming back. And I think Shibway had a good year last year. I don't know that he had the dominant year that we thought he was going to, and Edie wound up having that. Uh, I I think Dickinson could be a guy that, that works his way into the conversation. I think Collier, if you're looking for a newcomer, Isaiah Collier at USC could be a fun uh, uh, person to talk about. Kyle Filipowski at Duke, obviously, didn't have a. Gr- I don't know that he had a great game against Michigan State, but he's their, I think, their best player, unless it's Proctor. Um, Tyler Kolick at Marquette. I thought that there was a good portion of the season you could have made a case for him being the player of the year last year. And then Armando Baycott's going to put up. Hunter Dickinson versus Kentucky numbers every time he goes out. So those are, you know, there's there's no no groundbreaking names there, but those are the guys who'll be in the conversation. But Edie is a uh, he's a freak of nature. So to, to to bet against him at this point would not be shrewd. Yeah, I think Isaiah Collier is pretty much the the newest of the new when it comes to being in that conversation. And he is a freshman, so maybe that holds him back a little bit with the voters. But as far as those guys, we know Hunter Dickinson's game. We know Armando Baycott's game. We know Filipowski at this point. So it does feel like if there's anyone to kind of cut through and get the eyeballs, it could be Collier. And I think a lot of people might tune into USC games and think they're watching Bronny James just based on the hype, and they realize it's not Bronny James. It's Isaiah Collier. So uh, I think that's good news for USC basketball fans Kevin, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you being a friend of the program. Good luck with everything this year. We'll be tuning in. We'll be watching. And uh, good luck to the Bills. I, I, I see so much talent. And as a Cam Newton guy, I have so much love for Josh Allen. So I hope he figures it out ASAP. From your mouth to God's ears, man, because it ain't looking good right now. But uh, let's do this again soon. Thanks for having me on. Grab your game day gear because college basketball is back and FanDuel wants you to join in on all the fun. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. And uh, looking at the slate here in college basketball, I love the Final Four Futures. I'm going to keep hammering it home. I love Miami. I think they go back to back. They probably won't because I keep saying it on these ads. But at the end of the day, you can go and make your own decisions and uh, figure out your futures, figure out some of the better games of the week and make some bets because we got Feast Week coming up. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join than now. The app is easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com OSP. That's FanDuel.com OSP, and make this college hoop season one you won't forget. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, there you have it. Shout out to Kevin Connors, true friend of the program. We appreciate him. Um, you know, he's doing the Lord's work on that studio show, dealing with Jay Williams. I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, we appreciate him coming on the show, uh, breaking down everything that's happening in college basketball. And, uh, you know, Seth and Jay, they're in there giving him the goods every single week. So he's keeping up with everything. And uh, we'll, ha- we'll have him back. Last time was way too long ago. I can't believe it was in March the last time we had him on the show. So um, we will have him back. Now let's do some shout outs quickly. Um, again, we did the bonus episode, myself and Kyle Mann. So that kind of covered, um, you know, what we saw basketball wise. Not much really has happened. We talked about USC and UC Irvine. Um, my big takeaway in that game was simple. 
USC, what, do, what are we doing here? But also UC Irvine, they have some NBA players. Um, I like their point guard, Crockrell. Um, you know, I actually met his dad not too long ago in Seattle. His dad's helping the, the Sonics push to get the Sonics back in the NBA. So true basketball family. Good to see them get a win. And uh, I think USC will be okay. Um, also want to shout out BYU. BYU is moving up in the Kempom rankings right now. They are number 16. Mark Pope. A true character, one of my favorite coaches in college basketball. We are working to get him on the show as soon as possible. And uh, Kim Palm, when Kim Palm falls in love with you, it's it's a great feeling. You know what I mean? As a program, um, you start to believe in the idea that you know you can go make a run to the national championship game. And BYU's got a lot of talent in that building. So again, shout out to shout out to BYU. Also, shout out to Nebraska. Nebraska is a basketball state officially. Creighton is one of the top teams in the country. I think that they are. Um, in the national championship conversation. They are one of those six to eight teams that we were talking about with Kevin earlier. So Creighton, tip of the cap, you're in that conversation. I love what Coach McDermott is doing with their team. Shout out to the Blue Jays. Also shout out to Fred Hoiberg. Nebraska 4-0 right now. Um, they look like a tournament team potentially. So Nebraska, one of those teams that uh, one of my favorite trivia facts, Nebraska has never won an NCAA tournament game. So um, this is the time for Nebraska to take that next step and for Fred Hoiberg to let the world know that he is, in fact, a good college basketball coach. We love to see that. Um, shout out to uh, Ed Cooley. If you did not see this, Ed Cooley had a press conference after the Rutgers game. And, um, you know, during that game, the Rutgers student section is chanting F Ed Cooley. I'm, I'm putting that in TJ Hall's, BYU's TJ Hall's, um, you know, kind of, uh, vernacular there, but they were saying F Ed Cooley. And then afterwards, Ed Cooley goes to the post game before he talks about his team losing yet another game. He says he wants to talk about Coach Gavitt and how important Coach Gavitt is to the Big East and to basketball at large. He also then takes a little bit of a pot shot at the Big Ten. He calls it, quote, the big world, says they're going to add a team from Siberia. Um, it was about an eight minute press conference, but it was big Coach K energy. It, it was very like, I am the smartest guy in the room and I am, um, you know, you guys should be, you know, lucky that you're hearing me impart wisdom upon you. And then the last minute after the, some of the players took some questions, Jaden Epps answers a question. Ed Cooley then decides to basically lecture all the writers in the room um, and say, this is real shit. You know what I mean? And, and, and that was not in TJ Hall's vernacular. That was exactly what Ed Cooley said. And he basically said, if you're a student reporter, writer, and you're in this room, you better take the opportunity to ask some questions. Um, which again, this is uh, after, I guess he, he had only gotten three or four questions and then the players got two questions and now we're eight minutes into a press conference. But Really, all the questions that were asked were pretty much softballs for him to wax poetic about the Big East and how much he loves the Big East and how it's such a beautiful conference and and so important to the to the fabric of college basketball. But it was a very strange press conference in, in general. Like I said, very K energy, very let me tell you something, young man. What's your major? Um, you know, Jim Beheim would have been proud if he saw this. So I don't really know what's going on with the Ed Cooley era. We wanted Georgetown to be cool again and to be cool we thought you needed Cooley but so far the start is not great um, shout out to my guy Dontrez Styles. he's playing some good basketball but um, if you haven't watched it if you haven't seen it you'd only need to watch probably the last 115 of the clip to really get the uh, what Ed Cooley was putting down and it was he was not cooking anything with that so um, I hope for Georgetown's sake that they go back home 
They get a win. They get back on track because, you know, Rutgers is not the best team right now. Rutgers lost to Princeton. Rutgers has been trying to find their footing. So this isn't the most shocking thing. But, I mean, they had 20 turnovers in the game. That Pykele press uh, obviously made a difference. But um, Ed Cooley, the, the basketball part aside, I, what is going on there? We'll we'll uh, we'll keep up to date on that. So uh, you know that'll be a conversation point. Um, let's keep it rolling. Let's shout out the Butler Buckeyes. That is right. Thad Mata is at Butler right now, and there was a story article, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the Indy Star that basically was talking about Aaron Kraft, former point guard of Ohio State, is now living with Thad Mata um, at this point in time. And also you got Greg Odin. Shout out to Greg. He's on staff at Butler, so they are officially the Butler Buckeyes. That is what I'm calling them for the rest of the year, and. Uh, the fact that they have a, a pretty solid roster and no one's really talking about them. They're kind of off the beaten path. Thad Mana always kind of takes that leap from year one to year two. I think he figured out the kinks last year. So watch out for the Butler Bulldogs. They make the Big East even better. Um, Ed Cooley will be happy about that because, again, he loves the Big East so much. Um, let's keep it rolling. The Matt Painter showdown. That is right. The Matt Painter game. It was FDU and St. Peter's, the 15 seed that upset Purdue, the 16 seed that upset Purdue. They played each other and FDU, the 16 seed wins by 1.7170. So again, 16 better than 17. Shout out to, uh, Matt Painter for making that game relevant. Uh, we appreciate that. We need the little guys to get some attention. Um, also want to shout out Louisville. Louisville had a, uh, an abysmal crowd for their game against Coppin State. And after the game, Kenny Payne gave one of the most um, candid and best answers he's given during his entire tenure at Louisville about, you know, why he understands why the fans aren't in the building, that they have to create a winner. That's how you create buzz. That's how you create interest. And the fans deserve to watch good basketball. That's why they're not at the game. So um, it was a nice moment of self-awareness for the Kenny Payne era. Um, and Kenny Payne, P-A-I-N, as we know, is trying to uh, to figure it out, but they did get the win. So Louisville, um, there is some positive conversation there um, just in general about, you know, this one game, this one moment in time and the fact that, you know, at some level, Kenny Payne um, did admit that he understands that there is an issue, which is the first step um, to, to getting to that next step. So uh, shout out to him. Shout out to them. Shout out to Trey Johnson, the number four recruit in the 2024 class. He committed to Rodney Terry in Texas. Um, one of the best shooting guards. I think he is the number one shooting guard in this class. So um, getting him to go down to Austin, Texas is a is a big shout out. Also shout out four-star Eli Ellis. He committed with Joe Tipton, our guy. Um, he is going to go to South Carolina. You might know him from TikTok. Now we are in the era where the headline says TikTok star commits to play basketball at South Carolina. That is um a wild timeline that we live in. So shout out to Eli Ellis. Shout out to Joe Tipton for getting the scoop. We love to see that. Um, that's always good stuff. Also, shout out to all the tournaments that are coming up. We got a great slate. We mentioned the Maui Invitational. And uh, here's a little nugget for you. 16 of the last 25 national champions have won their early season tournament. So um, if you're if you're trying to figure out who's going to win the national championship, you, you need to look at these early season tournaments because they are a tournament. And uh, if you can win this tournament, you can win the tournament in March. Who would have thought? So, so um, I last year um, famously believed because Arizona won the Maui Invitational, they could take that momentum into March and win the national championship until Bill Simmons and Mitch Henderson and the rest of the Princeton Tigers said not so fast. Um, so sometimes, you know, right logic, wrong pick. Um, UConn went and won the, the, the Phil Knight Invitational. They go win the national championship. So that was the team to really buy in on. Um, the Bahamas is going to be great. Myrtle Beach is going to be fun. Rick Patino is going to be playing Holy Cross on November 25th. So 
hopefully we can get Bill Simmons on the show to talk about that. We're about, a, you know, about 10 days away from that conversation. But Maui's going to be a fun tournament. We're going to be back on Monday with Kyle Mann. Um, we'll be breaking down what we've been able to see um, as we lead into those tournaments. And then we're going to do uh, a follow-up episode, hopefully, um, on Thursday or Friday, reacting to the results of those, you know, those early season tournaments. So um, it's going to be fun. We appreciate everyone tuning in to uh, One Shining Podcast. The season is in full swing. We got Thanksgiving next week. It is really college basketball season. The best of times. We've got some great basketball ahead. I hope everybody is watching. I hope everyone is having a nice lead into the holiday season. And again, we will see you on Monday with Kyle Mann. Thanks again to our friends at FanDuel. Again, you must be 21 and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. one 800 9 with it in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.